Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So what I want to look at this morning is how can we be brutally honest about how tough life is, about the hardships that we face, how can, we, how can we actually just be authentic and saying, yes, this is what I'm facing and I'm feeling discouraged and I'm, and I'm feeling overwhelmed and this isn't fun for me, while at the same time living with absolute hope and courage. Like we're not denying one in order to have the other. The scriptures actually say we can have both. You can be completely honest without allowing your discouragement or the disappointment that you feel in this moment to morph into despondency and discouragement. Your difficulties don't have to become discouragement. You can have courage in the midst of them. How do we do that? How do we persevere? How do we continue to move forward? Fortunately, the Bible doesn't do the whole pretend thing. The Bible doesn't show us images of perfect people and say, oh, if you try really hard enough, you can be like this guy. Even with Jeremiah, the Bible doesn't do it. You know why? Because the Bible's true. It's about real people that lived in this world, that experienced things just like you and I. It's true for Jeremiah. It's true for everybody we read about in the Bible. In fact, this is one of the internal proofs that the Bible is an original, uh, authentic document, that it wasn't just a fable or a myth or or a religion that somebody made up after the fact. Because if I was going to write my own religion and write a whole backstory to it, I would make the people in the stories perfect. I would, I would use their, their lives like these tales, these fantasies of, of something we're supposed to, to try and emulate, right? But the scriptures actually have what seems on the surface to be self-damaging content. Like why put that in there if you're trying to convince people? Like, and this is when you don't under, obviously understand the depth of it. But for example, if I was writing my own religion, I wouldn't include Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's tough to explain. You have to, do some, you have to do some inquiry about that. I wouldn't have Jeremiah, the great prophet, say things like he said um, in the scripture that we looked at last week, where he says to God, you're nothing, God. You're a mirage. You, you promise things, but when I get there, nothing. You haven't delivered. I wouldn't include Abraham, the father of faith, when God shows up in Genesis 15 and says, oh, Abraham, I am your shield, your exceedingly great, great reward. And Abraham goes, oh, God, what will you give me? Look at my house. I don't even have a son. I don't even have an heir to my home. Eliezer, the son of Damascus, is my heir. What will you give me, God? I wouldn't include stuff like that. But thank God that the Scriptures do. Because what they show us is that this is about real people that lived real lives, that had real battles of faith, real struggles, but were able to rise above the negativity of the challenges they faced. How do we do that? How do we get our disappointment not to morph into despondency? That's the battle. How do we keep going when we feel discouraged? And so this morning, I want to share a message with you called The Key to Perseverance. The Key to Perseverance. Continuing on, keeping on. Moving forward, progressing regardless of the situation, staying hopeful, staying present in the moment rather than giving up. This is more than a good idea. 
It's a part of God's call for your life. We don't really, as believers, have an option about this because the, the, the opposite would be faithlessness, right? To be faithful, meaning full of faith, means that you move forward. You always move forward, no matter what happens. To be faithless means that you don't see the hope in moving forward, and so you move backwards or you stop moving. The title of our series comes from a time when Jeremiah was complaining in prayer, saying, God, this is difficult. God, this is tough. God, this is overwhelming. And God answers the call with Jeremiah 12, verse 5 that we've looked at, which is our foundational scripture for the series, that says, if you have run and raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you run with horses? Like if you are being overwhelmed by just the everyday basic things, how are you going to do something supernatural? How are you going to live an extraordinary life? And so there's a call for us as believers to endure, to keep moving, to keep going. This is something God definitely communicates throughout the scriptures. Hebrews 10 verse 3 says, you have need of endurance. If you're like me, I have such admiration for endurance athletes. Do we have any endurance athletes here this morning? Ryan, no. Um, put, your, put, your, put your hand down, right? We got, you know, it's one thing to run a little bit. It's one thing to have a, you know, a burst of energy and, and, and just be able to do something quickly. It's quite another thing to keep that pace up over time, to keep moving. Even in school, I wasn't a great endurance athlete. Like, I was down for the sprints, 100 meters, 200 meters, maybe 400 meters, but that's pushing it, right? And I would look at these guys that would run the 800 and the 1.5 and, the and do all these things, cross-country running and stuff, and I would be amazed at the ability to keep up a certain effort over time. It's inspiring to me. And what the Scriptures say is that our race with God, our, our walk with God, our journey as Christians, as believers, needs endurance. It's not just a decision you make once on a Sunday morning and that's it, now you're fine. It's a decision you make daily. It's an effort you make continually. It's something that you're constantly working on. It's something that you're constantly in love with and, and walking on and, sorry, working on and, and, and developing in your own life because it's something that you, that you are called to. When you've done the, so when the, if you continue on in that endurance and you've done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. See, that's what it requires. Colossians 1.11 says, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. We are strengthened by the power of God in order to do this. It's by His grace that we can run and not grow weary. For all endurance and patience with joy. Hebrews 12, 1-3 says, Let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, another clue here on how we do that, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Romans 15, 5 says, may the God of endurance and encouragement. Now, that is such a great message. That's so much, there's so much hope just in that. Who is our God? He's a God of endurance. He's a God of encouragement. For some people, you know, they go to church and they, you know, they, they encounter the God of discouragement, right? We want to be different as a community. God is not here to discourage you. He's here to encourage you with His Word, with His truth of who He is. 
The God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Romans 14, 12, sorry, Revelation 14, 12. Here is a call for the endurance. Endurance is a call of the saints, those that keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So endurance is a calling, and it's a calling at all costs. As we, we endure no matter what. We never give up. In fact, the context of the scripture is Jesus saying that some of you are going to have your heads chopped off and the rest of you will be thrown into prison. But don't give up. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Here's a call. No matter what you suffer, keep going. Don't stop moving. One of the famous uh, speeches that Dr. Martin King Luther um, gave was called The Blueprint of Your Life. And he ends that speech by saying that for none of us, life has been a crystal stare. But here's the thing. Just keep moving. And if, if you can't fly, run. And if you can't run, walk. And if you can't walk, crawl. But whatever you do, keep moving. And there's a call for, to us in that, in Scripture, to live a life of endurance. Clearly, a massive part of our faith involves endurance. The Austrian theologian, Baron Friedrich von Hegel, which is a great name, said the following. He said, experienced mountaineers have a quiet, regular step, short step. On the level, it looks petty. But then this step, they keep up on and on as they ascend. Whilst the inexperienced townsman hurries along, and soon has to stop, dead beat with the climb. Such an expert mountaineer, when the thick mists come, halts and camps out under some slight cover brought with him, quietly smoking his pipe and moving on only when the mist is cleared away. You want to grow in virtue, to serve God, to love Christ? Well, you will grow in and attain to these things if you will make them as slow and sure and utterly real a mountain step plod and ascent, willing to have to camp for weeks or months in spiritual desolations, darkness and emptiness at different stages in your march and growth. All demand for constant light, for ever the best, the best to your own feeling. All attempt at eliminating or minimizing the cross and trial is so much soft folly and puerile trifling. In other words, so often we sign up for a Christian walk to follow Jesus because we think, oh, that means everything is just going to be okay all the time. It's just going to be amazing. It's just going to be every moment is going to feel awesome. There's going to be no struggle. There's going to be no hardship. There's going to be no wrestle. There's going to be no battle. It's just nonsense. It's not real life. It's puerile trifling and soft folly. This battle, this journey, it requires us to often walk through difficult things, to battle our own lusts and our own shortcomings and our own things that we struggle with and to remain faithful and to keep moving forward in faithfulness to what God has called us to. And when I read this quote, I remember a time that I went to Cape Town and I decided that that day I would save 50 rand and instead of going up on the cable car, I would climb the mountain myself. Not my best idea. But I was ready for this. I thought, you know, I'm young. I can do this. I see older people doing it. It's fine. I can climb this mountain. And so I started off, you know, really pumped, really excited, and at a good, healthy pace. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this mountain. I'm going to climb this thing. 
not even 10 minutes later, I was done. I was finished. I found like a flattish rock and I just lay there. I was so exhausted. Just the, the pure gradient is, is enough to, to exhaust you. And while I was sitting on this rock, a granny passed me by. Little gray hair, everything, granny, there she goes. I never saw her again. I couldn't even catch up to her. And that's what, the script, that's what this quote is saying. That's what this theologian is saying is that so many times if you see the short, regular step that an experienced mountaineer takes, you think this guy is not a serious climber, surely. Surely serious climbers just run up this hill. But they keep that short step, that persistent little petty step. They keep it up again and again and again and again and again. And they don't stop. They don't stop. And before you know it, they're at the top of the mountain and you're still out of breath at the bottom. There's something to be said for faithfulness, for commitment that might not look like much in the moment, but adds up over time. Adds up to something that looks like a life of incredible tenacity and faithfulness. The truth is that most of us overestimate what we can do in a short period of time and underestimate completely what is possible to achieve over a long period of time. We can only do so much in a moment, but over time, we can do way more than we even know or understand. Many people have heard of Angela Duckworth and you know, her study into success. Angela Duckworth wrote a book called Grit, and uh, she started by doing a research project on why certain students, she was a teacher, and she saw certain students that were naturally gifted, that were smart, that were talented, that were intelligent, and she found they didn't get the best marks. And she wanted to know why that is. Why people that seem to have all the, the raw, natural you know, ability to achieve at a high level are often not the ones that end up being the greatest in their field. And she went out looking for any precursor to success. And over years, they studied colleges and sports teams and corporates and businesses and individuals and universities and schools and tried to see who are the kids, who are the people that make a success of life and why? What is the the, the determining factor of success. And after all of it, they found that it wasn't talent, it wasn't intelligence, it wasn't opportunity, it wasn't connections. It ended up being one simple thing, grit. The people that made a success out of life were the people that didn't give up, that just kept going, that just kept trying, that just kept moving forward. And I actually remember uh, watching a video of Eugene Peterson who wrote the, you know, did the, the, the translation of the, of the Message Bible and, and wrote the book that we're studying now. And they said to him, Eugene Peterson, you know, he was saying, pastors are often looking for, how do I grow my church? And trying to help people. How do you grow your business? And how do I find success? And how do I do this thing? And he says he was sitting out on his porch at his home, and there was a little kingfisher. He lived next to a lake. And this little kingfisher, he watched the kingfisher dive into the water. And he began to count how many times this little bird dove into the water before he came out with the first fish. 37 times. And he said, you know, people are like, what is the secret to success? He says, oftentimes there's no secret. The question is, have you tried 37 times? Just keep trying. Just keep, just keep going. Just keep taking the next step. And it all adds up. We see this in the life of Jeremiah. 
We come to a place now in the book of Jeremiah, we're in Jeremiah 25 is where we're going to be today, and this is about halfway through his career as a prophet in the nation of Israel, and for, for all of this time, halfway through his career, since he was a young man, he's been calling out tirelessly to Israel, working to bring this true spiritual revival to the people. You know, they had taken on a reform, a religious reform, but it wasn't penetrating or permeating their hearts. The people's hearts were still far from God. And inspired by the, the Word of God to call people to a deeper form of relationship with Him, Jeremiah goes out day after day after day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, calling out, crying out with the same message. And in that time, he faces every kind of hardship, every kind of persecution. They had given him nicknames. They had mocked him. They had locked him in the stocks and humiliated him because Jeremiah just would not stop calling out this message. In Jeremiah 25, verse 2, we see Jeremiah speak about this. Jeremiah, the prophet, it says, delivered the message to all the people of Judah and the citizens of Jerusalem. From the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, right up to the present day, 23 years it's been. 23 years he's been preaching this message. God's word has come to me, and from early each morning to late every night, I've passed it on to you, and you haven't listened to a word of it. Not only that, but God also sent a steady stream of prophets to you who were just as persistent as me, and you never listened. They told you, turn back. Right now, each one of you from your evil way of life and bad behavior and live in the land God gave you and your ancestors, the land he intended to give to you forever. The steady stream of prophets, this persistent message, this, this incessant call day after day from Jeremiah and the prophets. For many parents out there, you may have felt this way. You know, when you're raising kids and you'd say to them at some point, for 23 years, I've been asking you to pick your towel up after the floor after you've had a shower, right? Parents, any parents here this morning? For 23 years, I've been asking you to make your bed. For 23 years, I've been telling you the same thing. It's enough to make anybody quit. 23 years later, Jeremiah is still, day after day, persistently calling out to Israel. As I was reading the scripture, I thought about something that happened this week when my oldest boy, Eli, eight years old, played his first ever proper cricket match, all right? It's quite an exciting moment for me. I try really hard not to live vicariously through my children. I'm failing at this point, okay? Um, and so I, he's got the gear. This is the first match with the pads and the, the helmets and the wickets and the umpires and the whole thing, you know, the boundary markers and everything. And so he goes out and his team is fielding first. And the coach gives Eli an important task for the team to keep up the spirit in the field while they're fielding. You know, for young kids, fielding, it can be kind of tedious and it can get long-winded. And so he says to Eli, we've got to do some war cries during the over. And they've got a couple of things that they shout that requires a response. So Eli would stand there and he would go, WWW, and all his teammates would shout out, dot, dot, dot. And then he would shout out, whoever wants a wicket, say I. And they all shout I. And Wolfie, Wolfie, what's the time? And they all shout out, it's wicket time. You know, and the problem was, it was awesome to begin with, but the problem was that my boy took this really seriously. 
And so he did all three war cries between every single ball. At one point, it was interrupting the bowler who would have to stop and restart his run-up because of the war cries happening. And he was doing it so loud that at that point, half of Kailami was hearing this. And he just kept on, it was so persistent. I was amazed. And at one point, he shouts out, WWW, and some of the kids shout out, dot, dot, dot. And then he goes, whoever wants a wicket, say I. And nobody responds, but one kid shouts out, shut up, Eli. <laughs> and when I read that, I just thought of Jeremiah. You know, God's tasked him with this important role to cry out before Israel. And he's calling out to people God's word. He's saying, turn to Jesus. Turn to God. Surrender your life. Become pliable in his hands. The same message day after day after day. And at one point, they're like, shut up, Jeremiah. Just look, we've heard enough. All of Jerusalem has heard what you have to say. But what produces this kind of constant and consistent persistence and perseverance? The word for persistent in that passage that we read there in Jeremiah 25, the original word is the word hashkem, which is the Hebrew word for shoulder. And it is a word that we actually see morphs over time. And I want to take you a little bit through that journey because whenever it says God persistently sent prophets or a steady stream of prophets or early morning till late at night, that, that idea of persistence is the word hashkem. And this word morphed into where there were two shoulder mountains in this area that uh, flanked an area right in the center of Palestine. These mountains, the mountains of Ebal and Gerizim. And the town that lay between those two mountains, those shoulders, was known as Shishem. So Hashkem became Shishem, the, 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 this place in between these two hills, these shoulder hills flanking this valley where this town was. And this place was actually a place of significance because when uh, Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land, he brought them to that place between those two hills, and he actually lined the people up on the two hills. And there he spoke the word of God to them. He reminded them of the things that Moses had said in the plains of Moab. And he said, I set before you blessing and cursing, referring to the two hills, life and death. Therefore, choose life. And they reviewed God's word in that place. And so the word Shashem became synonymous as it morphed into this idea of the center of where God's word is heard and listened to. Right in the center. And then... It morphed a little bit more, this word, because it became known as when in those days, obviously, um, as, a, as a person would travel, they would take their provisions for a day's journey and they would lay it on you know, the, the shoulders of a donkey or on their own shoulders as they walked. And that to shoulder the burden or to shoulder the weight took, is what the word, so that the word shashem went from being a noun, shoulder, to a verb to carry or to shoulder the weight, to move forward. And if you were going to go on a day's journey in those times, I don't know if you've ever been to the Middle East, but I remember landing in the Middle East and getting off of the airplane at 6 a.m. in the morning, and it was about 50 degrees Celsius outside. And the first thing I thought as I was walking down the steps of the airplane was, I have respect for Moses. And all the people of I was like, respect, because this it's intense. If you've never experienced that kind of suffocating heat like the, the Middle East experiences, it's intense. And so if you were going to go on a day's journey, you would rise before sunrise, 
and get as many hours of travel in before the sun came up. And so the word shashem went from me, meaning to shoulder the burden or to laden, uh, to put that burden on uh, an, a beast to, for the day's journey to travel. It morphed once more, one more step into those that rise early in order to do what they intend to do. Those that shoulder the burden from before sunrise. It became a picture of faithfulness, a picture of diligence, a picture of, of being committed to a certain decision and a certain path. We shashem. We get up early. We do what needs to be done. Before the sun rises, we're faithful. Before the sun comes up, we're found in our place. We're doing what, what, what we're called to do, what we've intended to do. And so this is how this, this word that Jeremiah uses here constantly, what it came to refer to, persistently, tirelessly, time and again, a steady stream, every night, I kept after you. All of this is the word hashkem, shashem, to get up early, to set out on a long journey. 23 years, Jeremiah says, God's word has come to me. And for 23 years, I have persistently shared it with you. Of course, we've seen that at times Jeremiah got tired. At times Jeremiah was discouraged or despondent. And it's exactly at one of those times that God says to, the, says to Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how will you run with horses? The next morning, Guess what Jeremiah was doing? He didn't answer God in that moment. He answered through his life. What did he do the next morning in answer to the call of God to run with horses? He got up and he did what God called him to do. And the morning after that, he got up. And the morning after that, he got up. And the morning after that, he got up. It might not have looked like much in the moment, but over time it added up to a life of faithfulness. He got up every morning before the sun with anticipation of being able to hear God's voice. He was going to listen to God's voice. And this was something so real and authentic in Jeremiah's life. And, and, and this morning I can tell you that if you do not have an authentic relationship with Jesus, if, if, if there is not a love relationship between you and Jesus, if you do not know the love of God for you, that's something beyond a religion, something beyond a, a verse you heard in Sunday school, something beyond just something that you think is a nice idea. If you do not absolutely know to the core of your being, to every fiber of your body, the love that God has for you, then you will find it incredibly difficult to have perseverance, to be persistent, to be committed. Because it's as God loves us that we rise in the morning to meet a God of love, to meet a God that is faithful, to meet a God that is persistent in His commitment towards us. This is what gets us ready. There's, it's not a dreary religion or a bored sense of duty that we see in Jeremiah's life. He almost surely would have known Psalm 108, verse 1 to 2 says, I'm ready, God, so ready ready from head to toe, ready to sing, ready to raise a God song, wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake the dawn itself. You see, he woke up not to fulfill a duty, not to just be religious, not to go through the motions, but to meet with the living God, to meet 
with the lover of his soul, to meet with his creator. Here's the secret to perseverance. The secret to Jeremiah's perseverance. He didn't resolve to stick it out for 23 years. You know, I, I think that vision is awesome. I love vision. I'm always thinking about where God is taking us big picture. But sometimes we're looking too far ahead. And we're not looking at the next step. And we get discouraged because if you're going to climb a mountain and you're constantly looking at the peak and evaluating how high it is and how far you have to go, it will become discouraging. But if you just look at the next step, that's something that you can manage. That's something that you can do. And in this verse, we see that Jeremiah, he didn't resolve to stick it out for 23 years. He just decided to get up every morning and meet with God. He didn't get up to face rejection. He knew he would. But instead, he got up to hear God's voice. He didn't rise to put up with another round of mockery. He rose to be with the Lord. And that's the secret to perseverance. Are you focused on all the difficult things that you have to do? Or are you focused on the presence of God that is with you? Because when you're focused on the presence of God, when you've allowed God to remind you of who He is in your life, you will find an incredible strength to be able to face those moments. They'll, be, they'll go from feeling like mountains to shrinking down to molehills because you know the God who is with you. We see this throughout the Scriptures, that when you get a right size of God, everything else you face is in perspective. We're not thinking about the dread of the long road ahead. We're greeting every single moment with expectant Hope. My heart is ready, Lord, resting in the sufficiency of Jesus and His presence in, in your life. Some of you have come in here today and you're like, you don't know what I'm facing, Pastor. You don't know the size of the things that, that I'm up against. You don't know the emotions that I'm dealing with. I'm here to tell you today that you are not stuck in a rut. You're committed to a purpose. People look at Jeremiah and they said, oh, Jeremiah is just stuck in a rut. He doesn't know what else to say, so he just cries out the same thing every day. And if you come here to Anchor Church long enough, you'll see we share the message of Jesus, same message every week. We're not stuck in a rut. We're committed to a purpose. God is saying something through us. And every day, as you take one step after the next, it adds up to a life of faithfulness. Have you been committed long enough to what God has called you to that by the end of it, people could say the same of your life? See, we're not trying to have or be believers that just commit to something once off. We're actually trying to live the life we claim to live. And that means a consistent journey Christian author Joel Henderson, who wrote many books, was once asked how he managed to write all of those books that he wrote. And he responded by saying, I've never written a book. I don't have the ability to sit down and write a book. 
All I've ever done was write one page a day. That's as much as my energy and my imagination will allow me to muster up one page a day. But he said, I did it every day. And by the end of the year, I had written a 365-page book. And so all I've ever committed to was writing a page a day. But when you do it every day, you arrive at something you could never have thought was possible. Paul Andrew spent some time with uh, my wife and I when he was here last year. He runs a church that has locations globally, and that's always so inspiring to me. I know it's tough enough just leading one location and one community. I couldn't even imagine having one, you know, different communities on different continents, from Africa to Europe to America. He's got all these different locations, and, 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 and we're sitting, having dinner, with, and I'm amazed. And he said to me, all he does is he goes to the office every day, and he pushes a few things forward, and then he goes home. That's it. Just arrive and push a few things forward and go home. But do it consistently. Do it every day. How many of you are feeling overwhelmed right now because you're looking at how far you have to push? Don't. Just push for today. Just do what you need to do today. Just be faithful today. This is a part of our faith. We trust God for the future so we can be present in the moment. Jesus says this in Matthew 6 and verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It has enough trouble for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God gives you grace to deal with what you have to deal with today. So don't borrow sorrow from tomorrow. You won't have enough grace for it. But if you focus on what God has called you to do today, His grace is sufficient. And you can do that. And when tomorrow comes, His grace will meet you there. His grace will lead you forward. This is what you can do. Every day, we can trust God that His grace is sufficient. Where do we get this kind of persistence from? Where do we get the faith to be able to take these steps over and over and over again? Our culture surely doesn't embody this value. I mean, if anything, our culture is the opposite of that. And today, in our day and age, it's all about instant gratification. It's all about having everything in a moment. Whatever I want, I want it now. And don't challenge me or question me on it or tell me that there's a path towards it or a journey that I need to undertake. Come on, in our generation, everybody wants everything. They feel entitled to have everything in an instant. So where do we learn to be different? Where do we learn to be faithful? Where do we learn to be faithful to the process that God has? We are in need of endurance so that we may inherit the promise. You know where? Same place Jeremiah did. We learn from God. More than that, our relationship with God. It's His faithfulness that makes us faithful. We live persistently towards God because we know God lives persistently towards us. That even when you forget to pray, even when you forget to lean into the scriptures, even when you forget to surrender your life to God on a daily basis, it's not like God walks away from you. He calls you. He moves on your behalf even when you're not aware. 
Somebody once said, if you, if you haven't read your Bible in a while, you, you shouldn't feel guilty. You should feel hungry. There's something that you're missing out on that God wants to do, but God doesn't take His presence away from you. He's there, even when you don't realize it. And when we begin to know and to believe in the great love that God has for us, in His com committedness towards us, in how persistently He loves us, that's what makes us persistent. You know why I haven't given up in my journey, even in ministry? It's not because I'm a great guy or because I have made great decisions to just never give up. It's because I knew deep down in my bones that God would never give up on me, that He wasn't done with me yet, that His grace was available and present. If you want to live a life of persistence that doesn't give up, that continually pursues, even when you fail, it comes from knowing the gospel, knowing the grace of God, and knowing His presence in your life. In the time that the book of Lamentations was written after Israel was taken into exile, this was a dark time in Israel's history. And the book of Lamentations is exactly that. They're lamenting their situation. But right in the middle of the book of Lamentations, we have this verse. Lamentations 3.22. In the midst of this trial, in this dark time, this declaration. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. That is the key to perseverance. His mercies are new every morning. His love never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. His faithfulness is great. He is your portion. You put your hope in Him. How can you be real about your struggle and live in complete hope? By knowing the source of hope by meeting with Him every day, long before you hear about the negativity, long before you've got your first email, long before you've received your first criticism, or, or whatever it may be. What does God say about you? Do you rise to hear the voice of your Savior rather than just another day at the office? This is the key to persistence and perseverance sitting and hearing his voice. It's the only thing necessary. It's what God, what Jesus said to, to Martha when she complained about Mary sitting at Jesus' feet instead of helping. Jesus said, she has chosen the necessary thing. Sit at my feet. Do you want to be persistent? Do you want to be consistent? Do you want to have perseverance? Get up in the morning and sit at Jesus' feet. Let him speak to you. Let him encourage you. Let him tell you about who he is. He's faithful. Hear his voice and no other voice will be able to bring you low. I want to encourage you this week, Anchor Church, not just for this week, but every day. Even if you just spent five minutes every day, but you did it every day, it would add up to a lifetime of prayer. 
Carve out time in your schedule. We often say, oh, I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time for those things. I've got to get kids to school and I've got to, you know, get to the office and I've got to do all these things. But then we all spend three hours scrolling on our phones. How about you commit to one third of your scrolling time and convert it into prayer? You'll be amazed at how your relationship with God and your personal life will grow as a result. Let God speak to your life, into your life daily. Get up and hear His voice and then do it again and again and again and again for a lifetime. Something miraculous will happen in your life. We don't get up to do religious duty. No, we get up to hear the voice of our Savior. And so this is really about cultivating a relationship that leads us into perseverance. We never give up because we know that the God who loves us will never give up on us. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage you to stand this morning as we pray together.